despite what some people think, church is not a spectator sport. If you belong to a church, you're meant to be one of the players. And what I've observed over the years is that there are too many, I mean way too many people, who just want to sit on the sidelines and pick four with the players. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today, well, we're heading into the final message in this four-part series called The Problem with Church Is. And part of the problem is that all too often we don't really want to get in the game. So let's head into God's Word. Today on the program, we're continuing in our series called The Problem with Church Is. As God calls us into his family, as we become one of his children, what we discover is that we have brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are our family, brothers and sisters. Now, being part of a family can be difficult. Being part of a family, frankly, can be a pain in the neck some days. But it's part of God's plan. Part of God's plan is that we should be together as his family. And that thing is called church. For some people, that sends shivers down their spine. But it's part of God's plan, and if it's God's plan, then I truly believe that we're meant to flourish when we're planted in the house of the Lord. One of the reasons we don't flourish sometimes is that we get tied up in doing a whole bunch of things that never actually impact on people's lives. I'm a great fan of the British comedy series, I don't know if you've ever watched it before, called Yes Minister and then Yes Prime Minister. One of the funniest series that's ever been on television since television was invented. And a senior public servant by the name of Sir Humphrey Appleby says to a junior public servant called Bernard, he says, remember Bernard, politicians love activity, it's their substitute for achievement. That's a great line, isn't it? Activity is a substitute for achievement. Can I maybe twist that around a little bit and say, remember, Bernard, Christians love activity. It's their substitute for achievement. What can happen in God's family, in God's church, is that we all race around doing different things, being busy, being involved in in this and that and the other thing. And we think, wow, we've done a great job. But the only real measure, the only true measure of the effectiveness of a church is its eternal results. You ever been on a sporting team that always loses? I have. When I was in the Army, a cadet at the Royal Military College Duntroon, our officer training academy, I was part of the bottom of the rung football team and we didn't win a single game the whole season. It was cold, it was wet, it was sleeting, it hurt and to be tackled it was muddy, it was dirty and you don't win a single game. Let me tell you, it's not a lot of fun being part of a losing team. Yet a lot of Christians see themselves as exactly that in their churches. Are we actually involved in the business of winning, maturing and discipling souls for Christ? Are the nets of our church straining under the weight of the catch? Or are we just a dysfunctional family going nowhere? Has activity become the substitute for our achievement? Has activity become my substitute for achievement? Because Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it up at John chapter 21. Here's the picture. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen again from the dead. They're out fishing. They've gone from Jerusalem about 120 kilometers north back to Galilee and they're on the Sea of Tiberias and they're out there fishing. They've been out fishing all night and no catch. And a man calls out from the shore and says, Oi, throw the nets out the other side. 
And all of a sudden, they, they recognise that. They recognise that because it reminds them of something. Let's have a quick read of this passage in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered together with Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, look, I'm going out fishing. And they said, we'll come with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught absolutely nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know it was him. Jesus said to them, guys, why haven't you got any fish? And they answered him, oh, we didn't catch any. And he said to them, listen, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. So they did. And now they weren't even able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that, he put on some clothes because he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in by boat, dragging in the net full of fish because they weren't far from the land, only about 100 yards. So the crucifixion, which was a horrible thing, Jesus has risen again. He appears to his disciples who fled out of Jerusalem, north back to Galilee. They're out doing what? They're out doing what they always did before they met Jesus. They were fishermen. They've gone back to work. The party's over. Jesus is crucified. People were after them because they were followers of Jesus. That's it. There they are fishing, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and they recognise him because they've had this experience before. Flick back, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. And the fishermen had got out of them, and they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. So this is three and a half years before the instant in John chapter 21 we talked about. This is the first time Simon Peter meets Jesus. So they go out in Simon Peter's boat and Jesus sits down in the boat and from the water teaches the crowds. When that's done, he says to Simon, listen, let's push out into the deep water and let's let down the nets. And Simon answers, Master, we've worked all night long, but we haven't caught a thing. Well, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were about to break, so they signaled to their partner in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at his knees and said to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. When they'd brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. I love this story because it begins with Jesus having to go out in a boat. There were so many people, he can't talk to them on the land. He goes out on a boat, it says. The crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Let me ask you, in your family, in your church, where where you go, is the crowd pressing the doors down to hear the word of God? Tell you what, there are a lot of churches where that's not happening. There are a lot of churches where people are walking in with bored faces, they're singing songs with bored faces, and they're walking out with bored faces. I love this. The crowds had seen the wonderful things that Jesus had done, 
and they were there pressing in on him to hear the word of God because he spoke with authority, he healed people, his reputation had spread, and he had rock star status. I mean, what if, what if people came to our churches and were healed like that? What if people came to our fellowship and wanted to hear more? What if they were astounded? What if they said, man, this stuff really rings true? Powerful, authoritative proclamation of the truth, healing and deliverance. That's the stuff that makes God's love real in people's lives. It's the stuff that makes people hungry for God's word. Is that happening in your fellowship? Are you flourishing in the house of the Lord? Or is this some kind of boring thing that happens and you go along every Sunday? You don't know exactly why you do, but you just do out of habit. Simon Peter and the team had been fishing all night. They came back, they were tired, they were unhappy, they were labouring, it's been hard work. There was no machinery. They might have had some ropes and pulleys, but that's about it. They worked all night and they caught nothing, tired, unhappy. Then a carpenter comes along, a carpenter, not a fisherman, a carpenter from Nazareth and says, let's put out, let's take our nets out, let's put them down where I say. Now these nets aren't like nets that you and I might understand. They were more like thick cheesecloth. They were for night fishing. They weren't for day fishing. Now, if you or I had been Simon Peter, tired, exhausted, dejected, would we have pushed out? I think when this carpenter gets into our boat, there are three possibilities, three reactions we can have. The first is to say, oh, come on, you stupid carpenter. What do you know? You're not a fisherman. Well, the second response is to be so dejected and tired, say, look, I'm tired, I, I've had enough, I'm giving up, I'm not doing this fishing thing anymore. Every night we go out there, we don't catch any fish. That's it, I'm sick of fishing, I'll go and hire someone else to do it. And the third option is to do exactly what Jesus asks. Now, Jesus once told his disciples that his plan for them was to become fishers of men, of people. And then, then he proceeded to turn their worlds upside down in showing them how. I wonder how welcome that kind of radical Jesus would be in the odd church around the place today. If you've spent any time listening to these programs over the years, you'll know that I believe in calling a spade a spade when it comes to the failings of the church in, in society today. But here's the thing. We can examine it. We can criticise it. We can continue to try and come up with a, a better approach or to address some of the endemic weaknesses. But at some point, are we going to do something about it? Are we going to sit on the sideline and, and poke fun at it? Or are we going to get into the game and become part of the solution to the problems we see? It's one thing to be honest and direct about problems in our churches. That's good. That's healthy. But it's another thing entirely to spend a lifetime whinging and complaining about this thing called church as though it's our job to be judge, jury and executioner. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Church is his idea for his purposes. And as we saw before the break, there are so many well-meaning people in the boat trying to catch fish, labouring hard, toiling until they're exhausted, but for all intents and purposes, having no real impact in the lives of people. And that's the problem in many a church. Well, we are on the boat. And it seems to me that we have three options, as I said before the break, when this carpenter says, throw the net over the side. We can call him a crazy carpenter, we can give up and hire someone else to do it, or we can actually go and do 
what he asked us. That's the third option. That's the one I'd like to look at right now. These disciples, if we look back at John chapter 21, were tired and exhausted. They'd been to hell and back. They'd seen Jesus crucified. They'd seen him die. They'd lost all their hopes, their dreams. Their lives were threatened. They fled back up to Galilee. They went back to work as fishermen and they went out fishing and they saw Jesus on the beach. We saw that before the break. Now have a look in John chapter 21 verse 9. When they came back to shore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, look, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net still wasn't torn. And Jesus said, come on, have, have breakfast with me. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with a fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples. So they're tired, they're hungry, they're dejected. There's nothing like getting off the boat and sitting down having a barbecue with Jesus, letting Jesus feed you. Imagine how that felt for them. Imagine the sense of, of wonder and awe and joy at sitting down on that beach eating with Jesus. Well, let's be candid and honest here. The nets of many a church simply aren't bursting with a catch. Some of the things we've talked about here may apply to you. They may apply to your church. And probably some of us are feeling kind of condemned and hopeless. We know we should be catching men and women. We know we should be making a real difference in their lives. But we're not flourishing. Something's wrong. I feel so condemned. And Jesus comes along and you're feeling condemned. And he says, hang on a minute, have a rest. Come, come and have breakfast. Let, let me feed you. Have some fish. Have some bread. Sit down with me and let's have a yarn. See, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just when we're feeling down, just when you're feeling condemned, Jesus helps you. Jesus invites you to a barbecue. Jesus feeds you. Then he picks the least faithful one, Peter, who denied the Lord three times when Jesus needed him most. And three times he now asks Peter to do something. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt so hurt because he had said for the third time, do you love me? And Simon Peter said, of course, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denied Jesus. And three times, Jesus gave him an opportunity, an act of friendship. And in response, Jesus said, go and feed my sheep. Don't about you, but what I hear Jesus saying to me right now through this story is, Church, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, do my work, not the works of your hands, not the programs that you've planned, not the things that you think. Do my work, follow me, put the net down where I call you to do, flourish with me, be prepared to lay down every last little bit and do it my way. How will you react when the carpenter gets into your boat with you? Stupid carpenter? Give up completely? Hire experts? Or is your heart saying, 
Yes. Is there a spark of love and friendship in your heart that says, Lord, I will lay aside all that I hold sacred at your feet. I'll do it your way so your catch will be huge. God has a plan. God's plan is that you and I will flourish in the house of the Lord. He never promised it to be perfect or that it would be easy, just that it would work. Now, sometimes we get the feeling that we don't belong in this place anymore. It's true of our job, where we live, and the church that you might be attending. What church should you belong to? Answer, the one that God wants you at. But how do you figure out where he wants you? One of the biggest questions for any Christian to answer for themselves is which church should I in fact belong to? There are so many choices these days, and on the surface some appear incredibly contemporary and attractive, but choosing a church is more than evaluating the options and picking the best one. There's something else, Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Beautiful Psalm, Psalm 92. It's worth reading the whole thing. But those two verses in particular really touch me. They speak of God taking his people, the righteous, and seeing them flourish. Flourish is a word of abundance, isn't it? You don't see a plant only just flourishing. A plant that's only just hanging in there isn't one that's said to be flourishing, no. It's the strong, healthy, green, growing plant, the one that's thriving, the one that's being all it can be, bearing stunning, rich fruit in season. That's the one that's said to be flourishing. And that's the picture that God's giving us of what he wants for us when we're planted in his house, the house of the Lord. The thing we call these days church. And whilst I think that all of the things we've talked about over these past few weeks, things that we should be looking for in a church, whilst all of those are incredibly important, the danger is that if we focus on just those things, the danger is that we approach church like a bunch of consumers. All that matters is what's in it for me. What can I get out of this church as compared to that one? Do you understand what I'm saying? You and I, we can't approach God's community with a selfish, what's-in-it-for-me attitude alone Because if we do, we'll never be satisfied. This church here, well, that's a bit dead. There there isn't much of a sense of community. There aren't many loving relationships. Man, that guy who gets up and preaches each Sunday, he just bores your socks off. Nah, couldn't possibly flourish in that place. But what if God wants to bring you into that church or me into that church because he's up to something new? What if he wants to bring us into that church to be part of the solution to the problems that he sees and that we see going on in that place? What if God has a plan in that place that no man or no woman yet knows about to do a new work, to reach some different people, to heal some hurts, to confront some evil, to to do whatever it is that he plans to do there? And he's calling us to walk onto that battlefield with him and for him. Then what? Just after I became a Christian, I became part of a wonderful little church and I joined a home fellowship group. Now, that group of people were studying the book of Hosea at the time I joined them, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And here's the thing about Hosea. God calls him to marry a prostitute who has children by other men. And then when she's unfaithful to him, God calls him to take her back. I can't imagine the pain that God's call placed into Hosea's life. 
I can't begin to imagine. And you know something? I have to wonder, what was God thinking? I'm sure that's what went through Hosea's mind more than once or twice. But this relationship, this marriage, was a symbol of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And God used it in the prophet's life to help him to speak with conviction to Israel about their unfaithfulness to God. God had a plan and a purpose for his glory and for his people that went way beyond Hosea's comfort and needs. He called this man, Hosea, to suffer real and terrible pain, the excruciating pain of an unfaithful wife, ultimately for God's glory. In other words, it's not always about you and me. It's not always about our comfort and our needs being met. Sometimes God calls us into a place that just doesn't make sense. Now, I've persevered in churches somewhere perhaps I should have left earlier. There was one that I was part of where attitudes towards sexual immorality amongst the church leadership were wrong. There were people in key ministry positions who were living with members of the opposite sex without being married. Now, you might call me old-fashioned, but that's one of the things, one of the very few things that God actually says we shouldn't do. And you know something? Whilst that was going on in the ministry team, whilst that was being tolerated by the leadership, there's no way that God was going to bless that church. There's no way that it's going to honour and glorify God and go forward in a powerful way. Eventually, even though my heart was to stay in that church and make a difference, I left. And there have been times in my life where I've been in church wilderness, not knowing precisely where God wants me to be. But I truly believe that God does want our needs to be met. That's one part of flourishing in the house of the Lord. But the flip side of that coin, the side that's about taking up our cross and following Jesus, well, that involves sacrifice. And the one thing I've discovered in my Christian walk is that in order for me to flourish, I need pruning. We can't flourish without sacrifice. So whilst all those things we've talked about are incredibly important in evaluating what's going on in a church, to me, the number one reason for me to belong to this particular church rather than all the others is this. I want to be there because that's where God wants me to be, no matter what the cost. A tree doesn't get up and plant itself. It is planted. And the one who plants us in the house of the Lord is the Lord our God. And if he plants you over in that corner of his house and me over in another corner, let that be his sovereign choice that we honour because we love him. It won't always make sense. It, it may never make sense. But once he tells us where, once we know deep in our hearts where he wants us to be, you know something? That's where we belong. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time.